feels good to be back in the saddle. I mean, I sit here every day. Yeah, I sit here every day. But back in the figurative podcasting saddle, I mean. Episode a one billion and one. Yes. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. It was interesting, like the 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 week that our, our a show didn't air. Uh, like we don't hear, really hear much from people when we're doing things regularly, but as soon as we don't air an episode, people come out of the woodwork on Twitter. Hey, where's that episode? <laughs> or, you know, it was, it was cool to hear from people. It was encouraging. Um, to I didn't to hear from anybody on Twitter because I don't check Twitter anymore. I can't do it, Sean. Oh, yeah, I remember I, that. I tried for the first like six to eight months of this year and uh, and it's too much. I can't use Twitter anymore. <laughs> I unfollowed roughly 300 and some people yesterday. And so here's the thing. That that requires me going through the, all the people I'm following, clicking into each one of their profiles, looking at their last several tweets, and deciding whether or not I still want to be following this person. Oh, I just did it on my phone on TweetBot. I just scrolled through my list and was like, unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. Basically, if I haven't talked to you or know who you are, I unfollowed most, most people. That was like my criteria. If I haven't talked to you in like two years, then I unfollow. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It's not personal. It's not personal. It's just too much. There's just too much Twitter. There's too much Twitter. There's too many opinions. There's too many opinions on Twitter. Um, Not that opinions are bad, but I don't need to see all the opinions at once. And uh, I don't need to see any opinions, actually. So (laughs) I'm following a lot of people (laughs) that share useful things, and that's about it. Things that I find useful anyway. Um, And that's that's about it. Any, like, charged topic, I I just kind of, like, stepped away from just because – it was just too much to think about. I had, you know, it's been, what's funny is that we took a month off, you know, and theoretically we would have more time to ourselves, but I had less time because I launched an application and that took up a lot of time and energy and thought. And so, yeah, I actually didn't use Twitter very much. I uninstalled it from my phone, uh, uninstalled it from my computer, the TweetBot app that is. And uh, it was, it was nice for a while, but. I, uh, I actually did a similar thing. I didn't uninstall it. I still have it there in case I want to hop on to tweet something super witty or, you know, whatever. Sometimes <laughs> sure. you need to yeah. get on Twitter, right? Yeah. So all I did was remove it from my dock and move it to the second screen on my on my phone, mm-hmm. like the second home screen. And I basically never opened it anymore. That was all I had to do. <laughs> that Yeah, I could probably do that, except I would go to it. I know that I would go to it. I did for a bit, but then I just kind of out of sight, out of mind sort of thing. And, and, and it's such a at least for me, such a, like a sanity suck at this point where it's like my brain isn't actually making me want to go back there anymore. Right. So here's what's interesting to, what's interesting to me is that I, so like Twitter is supposed to be a place of discussion, right? Or discourse, like you share ideas and people like, that's why you would, that's why replies exist. And that's why threads and conversations exist. I never, I never have really had many conversations on Twitter. I had never really participated in any discussions. It was more me just like eyeballing stuff and uh, posting like once a month, maybe. That was it. Yeah, I've never been like a super active Twitter user, but I've definitely read it a lot for a very long time. I mean, that's where I got a big chunk of my news and just like tech news and political and otherwise news Mm -hmm. from Twitter for for a very, very long time. And now I'm just kind of... I, I feel like everybody on Twitter is, is either sad or Donald Trump, and, and that's just not really a group of people that I want to be super associating with myself with all the time, right? Right. Well, the keyword is all the time. So 
you could say like, oh yeah, I, I've unfollowed all these political accounts, and some people would say, why did you do that? You like removing yourself from the issue isn't fixing anything or makes you part of the problem, right? That's one argument that I've seen is like, if you're removing yourself, then you're part of the problem. And I think the key word you said there was all the time, because if you're checking Twitter all the time and it's always there, it's always just, it's causing me stress and discomfort and it just eats into my mental, my mental cycles. And I, I have, I need those cycles for, for working and for doing things that are productive. Right. Right. Well, and I mean, the the silly thing to me about People saying, "Oh, if you're unfollowing political accounts, you you're not you're somehow part of some whatever problem." That that's kind of ridiculous on its face, even though just because what I what I do on Twitter doesn't necessarily have anything to do with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with anything in in real life right, or yeah. any sorts of policies or anything like. So that that's that's sort of a non argument. In my it opinion. is a non argument, and it's just it's just one of the big arguments I think that happens all the time. Like it's thrown around, right? If you're not yeah. if you're not publicly active or visibly active in the public, and especially in like social media, if you're if you're in that crowd and you, people don't see you doing something on social media, then you're part of the problem. And that's crazy to me because it's social media. Uh, I know there's a there like you know people some people have a big effect there, but the the world is much bigger than social media. And most people that are barking on social media aren't doing anything in real life. They're just they're just standing in line for coffee and they're turned up about whatever it's popular to be mad about today and tomorrow it'll be something different and they'll be tweeting about that. And that's, that's kind of what I've seen as the pattern. So it just did not bring anything meaningful to me. So um, that's what I've been trying to do. I think is just get rid of things that are more of a time suck and uh, aren't actually meaningful to me and and don't bring um, anything of benefit really to my life. I don't know. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I I tried to unfollow anything like that, and <laughs> mostly I still follow like developer friends and people that are like talking about what they're working on or kind of like news accounts in terms of like developer news, in terms of like is there a new thing that I could that could be useful for me. Uh, that's that's mostly it. Yeah, and I mean, for a lot of my news stuff, I I'm finding that I don't have any trouble getting news. It's not like I stopped using Twitter and I never find out about new things. I just find out about them in different ways right? from, from various sources, you know, newsletters and friends and chat rooms and uh, which to me, at least right now, those seem to be a more reliable way of finding out about cool new stuff. Yeah. Small communities, I think is where I find I get more stuff now. Like Mm -hmm. in a a discord channel I hang out in, I get a lot of uh, useful information from that. And, uh, I get a lot of information just from Googling here and there. So like if I have a if I'm wondering about something, I'll search for it. But I'm just not getting blasted all the time. Which has helped me kind of cement into my tools more, I think, because I'm not like getting I'm not getting distracted by shiny things flying by <laughs> every minute. I'm just using what I know how to use and I'm being productive. And and like I said, um I ended up launching DK, uh the Elixir version, and deploying that and things have been pretty much pretty much all right. And it, and it worked out well. And I haven't like introduced anything new to the stack since I started working on it. I haven't like rewritten parts of it since I started working on it. It just embraced what I have, the tools that I have and, and, and launched it. That's really awesome. And you said the the Rails app, the, the legacy Rails app is completely shut off. It's just totally offline and gone now, right? Well, yeah, it's still, it's, it's off. It's just, I didn't delete the dyno. Um, sure. Because there's, there's, it's, but it's not actively, no requests are, are going through it or anything like that. Right. So actually yeah. the, 
the path to that was pretty cool. Um, what I ended up doing was, and I didn't know you could do this with Heroku, uh, but I ended up sharing the database between the two different apps. So I had the Elixir Dino and I had the Rails Dinos. And uh, the Rails Dinos are where the database was attached. And I shared it to the Elixir Dino. And so basically the Elixir app, when it booted up, would connect to that database. Obviously, I made sure that I had plenty of connections available and stuff like that. But so what I ended up doing was I booted it up. And for a day, I just kind of poked around myself and checked stuff out, you know, watched d- data come in from the rail side and, and things like that. And then what I did was overnight, I just changed the DNS and pointed the custom the custom uh, URL to the Elixir Dino. And um, I turned off all the background workers on the Elixir side. Uh, just because I wanted to do one thing at a time. So the web requests were coming through to the Elixir Dino, but the background jobs like emails and and things like that were being sent from um, the Rails Dino. That's really sweet. So I, I like that you had that that day, especially where it was just you clicking around in there. So if something did go wrong, you would see it instantly, not even through an error report or whatever. You would just know. Right. That had to have been pretty stressful though, even even still. Yeah, it was. Um, it was pretty stressful. And I think a lot of the stress came from uh, some coworkers too, because uh, there weren't like, there wasn't anything that was majorly broken. There's just certain things that were different. They, it wasn't like exactly one to one a clone. And uh, it's hard. It's hard. I think when you get used to working with something a certain way and it changes and you just want it to work the way it was, even though maybe the new way is better for different reasons, you know? So that was where a lot of the stress was coming from was just trying to work with them and get them on board. And it's not like I just sprung it on them and was like, oh, here it is. Uh, I had the staging server up for a long time. and was like, hey, uh, it's going to be a little bit different. You need to log in and check it out and all that stuff. So the staging server was up for several months and uh, a couple of months, pretty much the whole time I was working on it, it was up. And uh, yeah, so ended up switching the traffic over and then ended up switching the background jobs over. And it's been good. Like uh, we've already had purchases come through and everything's everything's working, uh, signups. Um, it's crazy, like the difference in performance. So the Rails app at idle was using like 450 megabytes of RAM and under load, it would double to around 800 megabytes of RAM, 850 megabytes of RAM. And um, the the Phoenix app or the Elixir app right now under load, uh, it uses about 200 megabytes of RAM under like the heaviest load we've ever had. And that was like roughly 20, 20 concurrent users on it for a good chunk of time. And idling, it uses like 130 megabytes of RAM. So not only does it use less, but the swings between like under loading and idling are drastically less. Right. More, more like what it should be. Right. It's, it's just more consistent, you know? And yeah, uh, the response times are consistently under 200 milliseconds. Most of them are under 150 milliseconds. And that's, that's from, you know, request start to uh, actual templates being rendered. So I'm not like doing any, I'm not doing a lot of Ajax stuff. I'm just rendering out plain HTML templates from the server. So um, in fact, quite a, a, quite a few of the requests are coming in at like under hundred milliseconds. And that's, that's, um, that's everything, <laughs> which is crazy to me. Yeah, that's pretty fast. I mean, and we, we've talked about clicking around in it and how much faster it is. Uh, I mean, obviously people go check out designcollective.com and See what Sean makes. Don't try and break my but, stuff, uh, by the way. Just use it. <laughs> use it like a person. <laughs> but uh, no, it is it is really really fast. And and now even that there's it's not just me clicking around on it and staging or whatever. It's there's actually people using it. It's 
it's pretty speedy, man. Like, you, you did a did a great job there. Like I can't tell a difference when there's a bunch of people on it versus when it's in the middle of the night and there's no one on it. There's not a huge difference sure. to me, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, in reals, I could definitely tell a difference. And a couple of my coworkers were saying, like at certain hours of the day, it would typically slow down a little bit when they're trying to do some administrative things. Or um, we have a team uh, in India that also works with us, and they they do a lot of. Um, housekeeping and a lot of like adding products and cleaning up product data and working out, like making sure the stores look really good and they do a great job at it. But obviously that puts a lot of load on, on the, on the server because it's four or five people at once just slamming it with adding and updating and uploading and, and, and what have you. Uh, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully it's better for them as well because that means that they can, they can get their work done faster because they're not sitting waiting as long for things to happen. But Another really cool thing is that bugs have been easier to fix. And we can like talk about this at length in another episode at some point. But I had like a, a paradigm shift in my brain at one point. I think it was like three quarters of the way through the build. And I started structuring things differently. And uh, it's it's been it's been amazing. It's been a little more work. Actually, this morning I woke up and I saw an art, a Medium article about this. And, they, and this guy was talking about doing something similar to what I'm, I'm doing. Um but basically, I have all these contexts, right? And contexts are, they just wrap a set of functionality. And, and instead of having few contexts that share schemas, so in my, a schema in my case would be something that gets data from the database. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be getting all of the data for like example, a, a user. It wouldn't have to get everything. Maybe one of the schemas only gets the ID or maybe one of the schemas only gets the ID in the email. But instead of having like one user schema and one product schema, or even two users or two product schemas, I have many product schemas. <laughs> and uh, basically, f- each context that I have, whether it's like marketplace or control panel or um, cart or checkout, each each context is responsible def- for defining all of the schemas that it needs to get data from the database. So um, the cart doesn't, use anything outside of its own namespace, for example. And the control panel doesn't use anything outside of its own namespace. Right. So as long as you're only calling the relevant things, there, there's basically, uh, I'm assuming you have, you have chain sets tied to individual things in there as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So there, there, there's there's no need for anything even like strong parameters. Right. Yeah. Because that, that the chain point, set because it that. just, yeah, it's just there. It's just there if for specifically for the admin panel or specifically for what mm-hmm. a user might be able to edit or that's, that's really cool. Yeah. It's a pretty awesome way of setting things up. You've shown me a little bit of this. Uh, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work and I'm okay with that because I think it should feel like more work. If I'm changing the database, it should feel like a lot of work because that means I'm having to go through and check everything that uses that table. Uh, some people might say like, oh, if it uses a different schema, then you should have a different table in the database happening there. But I'm not doing that. So my many schemas map to the same tables in the background just because the app, I mean, mostly because the app comes from Rails and I had a lot of God tables where they're just bigger tables and they contain everything. So I have lots of schemas. I guess they're called split schemas. I, I think I've heard someone say that. So you have different schemas accessing the same table. Um, it's just that the different schemas only have access to the fields that they need and only can write the fields that they need. So for example, when you're browsing, so I have a namespace like marketplace uh, browse stores. Um, there's not even a change set function in that context anywhere in any of the schemas because you're not changing anything. You're just browsing. So you you could not call any code that would actually 
change something because it doesn't exist within that context because the context is for browsing. If you want to manage a store, you need to call functions from the marketplace manage stores context instead. Right. Yeah. It's just implicit safety because you would have to do something that looked very obviously weird in order to even do anything to, to give somebody basically permissions they don't have. Right. If you, you, you could like say this is strange in the controller, for example, if you see like a manage functions being called, but no authorizations right. happening or anything like that in the controller. And in most of the time in the controller, like if you're working on a product in the admin, I'm verifying that the the store that's being worked on, that you have you have ownership of that store. So I'm jumping up a level and verifying the thing that owns the thing that you're working on, that you have permissions for that. Um, so it's kind of like there's clues, right? So you can kind of tell what by what kind of functions are being accessed, where you're at in the application, uh, which is which is pretty nice, and it makes it much 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 wider. But again, I'm I'm kind of okay with that because it makes it shallower, and the sh- the the shallow part is what I like because you you basically don't have to go like you don't go from like marketplace to cart to orders to shipping because cart and shipping don't they only call schemas they only use schemas they only call functions from within themselves. There's nothing coming from the outside world. So if you're changing something with 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 the exception of you know a migration in the database, if you're changing code, it's only going to break things for the folder that you're in, which is pretty nice. Yeah, you can be you can be a lot more laser focused about what what changes and what doesn't. And, and like you said, obviously you still have to. There, there is kind of a downside there because if you do change database stuff, it's going to affect still everything in your code base mm-hmm. and in way more places than it would otherwise. So that that's. A consideration, but for your case, it seems like that's that's it's there's enough reasons to make that worthwhile. Well, I mean, I would rather I would rather force myself to check all that stuff because if I'm changing the database, I should probably check that stuff anyway. That's a big thing. Um, as easy as I'm just saying, I'm mostly saying in terms of uh, of like tables, oh, like yeah, like yeah. having having those god tables. Uh, so ideally, those would be split out a little bit more, I would imagine. But like you said, right. a, a lot of that is just legacy stuff from it being a Rails app that you have to. Improve as you go along. Oh yeah, I'm already, <laughs> I'm already doing that. Oh man, uh, uh, Rock will get a kick out of this if I talk about it. So uh, I'm using JSON columns a lot, JSON B columns a lot in Postgres, and just tossing JSON in there. Uh, but there was a gem I can't remember what it was called, uh, but it was a Rails gem that I was using to store like use like certain settings. Uh, I think this was particularly like customer notification settings. So a store can choose to notify their customers on like when a sale starts, but not remind them of it if they don't want to, or not even like notify their customers of a sale start. They can choose how often their customers get notified of things that happen. And instead of, you know, making migrations to add a new column to a settings table, every time I want to add a setting, I just have a JSON column and that JSON column contains a map or an object or ash, what have you, uh, with different values of either true or false, like a key and a value, right? And so this Rails gem, uh, I swear to you, I followed the install, like the instructions to a T. And what it was doing was uh, the migration was a JSON column, but it was actually just storing a blob of text of stringified JSON in, in the database. So when I pull it over to start working on it in Elixir, I look at the database and I was like, this is a string and the column is JSON. I don't even, what, what, what? And uh, so what I did was instead of, because I couldn't really change the database while I was working on it because I knew I needed to throw it up and have it use the same database at least for a little bit 
I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't want to do like a giant thing where I actually had to like make a bunch of migrations and throw out the, the production database. I just didn't want to have to deal with that stress. And uh, so I just kind of dealt with it and I had all these functions that like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is so dumb. Uh, in the admin panel, I had a view component that uh, took the store's notification settings as a string, uh, decoded it. And as you change the options, there was a cloned a computer property that would just be a stringified representation of the updated value. <laughs> and I <laughs> put that in, in a hidden input. So when you save the form, it would just submit the hidden input with the string value in it. Just ridiculous, right? That I had to do that, but I did. So I'm actually going through and this morning I, I made a migration that fixed all that stuff. I normalized all the data so it's actually JSON being stored and I can work with it properly and all that stuff. But it was kind of funny like cracking open the database and I find that with with Elixir and Ecto I'm using an actual I'm using Postico a lot. So I'm actually looking at the database data quite a bit more than I was with Rails. And so I'm finding all these interesting things that I, I didn't really know were the case that I have to fix up. It's amazing how quickly Cruft builds up in in an app, even even a well maintained app. Like there are just so many things that happen. The bit rot is is a very real thing. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it is. It is. But it's kind of it's fun to do this stuff. It feels good. It feels like I'm cleaning things up. It was. It felt really nice when I ran the migration and then I refreshed the table in Postico and everything was was JSON or you know everything was an object. It felt it felt nice to have that work that way. And obvi- what's really cool is so you've talked about about you've talked in length in the past about like JSON schema. Um, mm, I love it. Validating so good. Yeah. So so Ecto has this idea of embedded schemas, and so like a regular schema maps to it maps data from a, a database table into a struct, and embedded schemas uh, aren't necessarily backed by database tables. They can they can be anything. And in my case my embedded schema for the settings is backed by uh, JSON in the database. So for example, in my store schema, I have um, embeds many uh, store customer notification settings. And the store notif- store customer notification settings struct is just an embedded schema where I say this key is a Boolean, this key is a Boolean, this key is a Boolean, and they all default to true. Um, and then it also has a change set. So what's really cool is that you can use uh, change set functions validations on your embedded schemas like you would your regular schemas, which in my mind is pretty much like using JSON schema where when you're changing your JSON, you should it should be validated, it should be checked, it should be checked for accuracy and all that stuff. Um, and in this case, it's literally no different than checking data that you're running back to the database because it uses the same, the same functions. That's really cool. I like that you can have a consistent thing regardless of what the backing store is for, for the data that you're talking about. So it can be just database or some arbitrary thing that you pass into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you can run it through change sets. You can validate required on some of them and none of them. Anything you can, I mean, you can validate like numbers are greater than or less than or whatever. You can run any validation that you would run on anything else. It's just getting backed into a, a JSON column, which is amazing. So that makes it really easy to scale out this the setting matrix, I guess, because I don't need to make migrations anytime I want to add a new one. I just toss one into the embedded schema, and any like anything that uses it will be good to go. <laughs> Um, obviously, you right. want to check for nils, but other than that, I mean, you're you're good to go, and you can verify the data is good and uh, data integrity is good and all that stuff. So it feels good to to be using some of those things that I've been wanting to use for a while and, and verifying that uh, things are working. And uh, yeah, it's just been a it's been a good like it's been stressful, like I said, but it's been a good experience so far. I don't find myself regretting anything. I find myself feeling more secure and that like things 
performance is so good now that I don't have to worry about figuring like as I'm thinking about new features and stuff like that, I don't have to worry about, okay, how am I going to cash this and how am I going to do this and how am I going to do that? I don't have to, I just don't have to right now. Yeah. It's a, it's at a point where finally, after all this time, you can actually just kind of build stuff out without having to worry about legacy stuff or having to worry about the two code bases to maintain. Yeah. And if you add a feature to rails, that means you also have to add it to the Elixir side. So that that's gotta be, that's gotta be an awesome, awesome feeling, man. Yeah. It feels good. It feels good to have it the front end on view two. It feels good to have of UX in there. It just feels good to have all the modern tools and, and to be fast. And so now it feels good to just like wake up in the morning and say, how can I make it better today? As opposed to, Oh, I'm racing a deadline, you know? Oh no, it has to be right. launched by this day. I'm just sitting down and be like, okay. So based off of my, my coworkers feedback, how can I make this better today? It's been, it's been pretty, pretty relaxing, you know, like aside from bugs coming through or like things that need to be changed and stuff like that. Uh, it's been pretty, pretty relaxing. Hmm. <laughs> so I feel like I've hogged a lot of the time so far. Uh, and I haven't even asked you about the hashtag, uh, RV life yet. Yeah. So we're, we're getting all too close, man. Uh, our lease is up. We're recording this on Halloween, October 31st. And our lease is up on the 18th of November. (laughs) So we have basically three weeks left and it is, uh, it's a whirlwind of activity. So (laughs) I, I just got back before we recorded this. I just got back from bringing the RV back to our mechanic, uh, because it has yet another oil leak in the new engine, which is, which is awesome. Oh, it's from the, it's coming out of the engine. I don't know exactly Oof. where it's coming from or, or not yet. They're they're doing diagnostics on it right now. Hopefully well, I guess it would have to soon. be coming out of the engine. But uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully it's just something loose. Hopefully it's not like a structural integrity thing. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. Uh, it was it was a a definite leak that needed to be looked at before, but not like it was still drivable. Um, we drove it back home from back home from Sonora. It's like a three hour drive, mm-hmm. uh, and it, and it was fine. I topped it off before we left, and it was still pretty much about the same when we got back. But unfortunately, it seems that that something has changed because when I drove it from here to the mechanic, which was like 20 minutes and just a few miles, uh, and I parked it there, I went inside, and then the guy went out and moved it, and it had already left a, a bit of a puddle. <laughs> That's not good. So I don't, I don't know. That could go either way, I feel like, because it's, it's maybe, maybe something's just loose, and it came more loose, right. right? And it just needs to be tightened back down. Or maybe something has gotten really, really bad. Yeah, hopefully nothing's really bad. Hopefully, I, you know, if nothing else, the RV has already been an incredible, incredible teacher for me in terms of like patience and mm-hmm. learning to learning to just deal with things. Because I swear, man, everything in an RV takes at least three times longer than you think it's going to take for one reason or another. Either something will break, or something else will break, or just something something goes wrong. Uh, yeah, it's it's constantly constantly something not quite correct. Well, it's so it's such a small like it's such a compact thing that has so many features, right? It's so many features kind of pushed into a small area. So when something breaks, it will touch so many other things, right? Is that is that what keeps happening? A lot of that, and also just uh, so this our RVs are this will come as a surprise to no one basically, but RVs <laughs> are are really poorly made. Um, they're really, really poorly made, generally speaking. Just every bit of them, even even the good brands. Like we have a, a Leisure Travel, which is generally a pretty well liked brand, and it, it, it's, there's so much junk. 
Mm-hmm. There's, it's all just junk. The cabinets are are terrible. Everything's bad. And this is this is a bit of an older RV. It's like ten years old. So that some of that's expected, of course. But it's just like everything in an RV is really bad. And then compounding on that, basically, is that you you have stuff breaking. Like you're saying, it is a really small space, and and it just kind of all affects each other. So it, it's just always a lot going on. Yeah. That yeah, that makes a lot of it's just fun. it's funny when you say it's just they're just not well made and I that's my experience also uh, with like buses and things that people travel in a lot. Um, I, my experience may be a little different with like band vans and just like piles like heaps of junk that shouldn't be on the road that shouldn't be legal to drive. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I should break into some of those stories sometime. I'm, I should not even be alive today, man. Um, but yeah, it's just. <laughs> Just yeah, the the build quality of such things and they're so expensive is it seems to be that's the case for for most things unless unless you're spending an obscene amount of money right but who's you know what percentage of the population is able to do that well and even if you do that like let's say you do a, a complete custom conversion all super high end stuff all custom made you're still putting it in a metal box that's gonna be rattling around and uh-huh. sitting in the hot sun all the time and it's just like this stuff is is going to break. It's just right. that's just bottom line. No matter how much work you put into it, it's going to break. But the sh- the shoddy workman- workmanship is just uh, definitely doesn't help. <laughs> definitely doesn't help all that. Um, and plus, it, it's just tight. So like, if you wanted, if you want to do, I've been working on like the the light fixture project, uh, where I replaced it was all halogen bulbs basically underneath the counters around the RV that had individual switches on them, and I replaced them all with uh with LED lights. Um, so I actually ordered. LED ring ring lights, twelve lights with RGBW components, so forty eight total LEDs mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. in a ring, and I replaced the halogen bulbs with with these LED things, and they're they're not connected to anything. You just you solder them yourself, and uh, so that's actually all running off a Raspberry Pi now that is connected to HomeKit. So I've got fully RGBW lights in the RV that I can just control from my phone, which is great, but. I ended up having to tear down some of the cabinets and stuff to even, to even <laughs> get this, get the wiring through. Oh, and man. So it's like hours and hours and hours of project uh, that you just don't necessarily expect. Because stuff like that, like doing a cable run over the ceiling, it's like, oh, it's a five-foot ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's I have five, like five feet wide. It's tall. It's six feet tall. But, oh, it should be really simple. But then it takes four hours, right? Just because there's so much stuff crammed into there. It's such a small space and there's so much going on. Right, yeah. That. It's been awesome though. Like I'm learning, I'm learning about stuff, all sorts of both car and electric things, and just just in general uh, from it, which is which is really what I wanted. I, I wanted this to be a learning experience and a chance to try a bunch of new stuff and and build a bunch of new skills, I mean, right. even like plumbing and and carpentry stuff. Just, I'm, I'm just life experience. Now. Life experience. So. Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah, it, I was talking to a new friend of mine. His name is Ezra. He goes uh, to the Muay Thai gym that I go to. And uh, I was just getting to know him a little bit. And he was saying that he's going to trade school. And he was talking about how there's hardly anybody doing it. There's such a low percentage of people in this area that that go to a trade school like that to learn how to become an electrician or a plumber or something. And there's no way I can remember the article that I, that I read, like where I found it. But just talking just looking at how many people are going into knowledge work computer work and how more or how less like the how fewer number of people are going into to to skilled labor like trade labor like you know plumbing and 
electric work and everything like that. Uh, it's just interesting to think about because if you get rid of all the electricians, we'll have a problem. If you get rid of all the plumbers, we'll have a problem. If you get rid of all of the programmers, I mean, we'll have a problem, but it's not the same in my mind. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely kind of a different different set of problems different, different set of scale problems, yeah. of problem yeah yeah um <laughs> it's very true man i i tell you there there is nothing to uh make you learn all this stuff faster than having to move into a metal box in three weeks oh it's gonna be it's gonna be a great experience i mean at least you have your wife and a couple of dogs doing it and it's not like four other smelly dudes uh doing it with you that just <laughs> yeah we've been able to keep it clean man it, it's it's nice we you definitely want a vacuum uh yes. we have one of those dyson yes. stick vacuums yes yes so you we have to vacuum at least once a day yes at least once a day if we're doing projects a couple times a day yes you need to clean every day you need to get so they, they make these little uh little balls that you put into like hockey gloves and hockey bags for like deodorizers you can scatter those about the rv um <laughs> i have so many cleaning tips for you uh from from my years of just being mad at everyone because no one else cleaned <laughs> and like hiding hiding i used to like slip that stuff into people's bags like dryer sheets i would slip them into their bags to just help get rid of some smell <laughs> oh my gosh thankfully we're not quite in that kind of position they're very small dogs and my wife is pretty clean <laughs> yeah yeah no you guys are clean I've, I've seen your place it's it's gonna be a good experience um yeah i mean just make sure you clean. Keep that baby cleaned, and everything will be good. You don't want to be finding molded Starbucks cups in the back seat. Oh yeah, definitely not. I I was reading about this, and apparently something that just happens eventually in every RV is that you get a rodent or two. Mm-hmm. I'm not really looking forward to that because that's a very small space to be sharing with a rodent or two. Well, an unwelcome rodent at least. Oh, uh, they don't. They're not harm. They're not harmful. Most of them are. Mm. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Most of them are. Most of them are just. They're just like any other animal. They just want to have food and they want to. They want to be loved. They want to have some shelter. They want to spread diseases. Yeah, that's that's you. I never had that experience that I'm aware of. I've never really had any uh, rodent friends move in with me. But maybe they were just too grossed out. Maybe it's too too small. By, space. by everybody yeah. else in the van. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, maybe that could be it too. Uh, this is no way, man. I'm out. Uh, another, another good tip would be to, as much as you can leave, leave a window open when you sleep, because if you've ever walked into a room where a bunch of people have been sleeping, it's the worst. It is the worst. Yeah. And I mean, even just for condensation reasons, cause you, you put out like four sleeping, two, two sleeping humans and two sleeping dogs put out a lot of water vapor in a night. They put out a lot of hot air. For a 22 van. Yeah. Oh. For a 22 foot van. It's a lot. It's a lot. So yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing. It's, yeah. Yeah. Something you'll have to worry about for sure. It's one of my least favorite things. I'm excited though, man. So we're 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 headed out. Uh, like I said, mid mid month, and then we're gonna be in our hometown in Sonora for a while, just because it's kind of coming up at the holidays anyway. Mm-hmm. And so while while we're finishing everything up, we're gonna be be there finishing up the solar install, uh, finishing some other things, uh, another various projects, and then then we're heading out. We're headed to Southern California, and then like across the south of the United States during the winter. Basically, is the current plan. That should be fun. Just like nowhere in particular, just just going. Yeah, yeah. And it's like if I if I have a really busy week at work or something, I'll probably just stop for a while and then just work really. Yeah. And get to know get to know an area a little bit better, which would be kind of nice. That's that's sort of one of the goals too. Is is I've never really traveled a ton, mm-hmm. 
um, just just a few trips here and there. And uh, so it'll be really nice to get to know other parts of the country a little bit better. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, you get to know the country in, in biomes. Like I used to be able to go to sleep and then wake up and look at the trees and be like, have a have a rough estimate idea of where I'm at. Like I'm in sure. Florida now, or I'm in the Midwest now, or I'm in the Northeast now. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's it's cool. It's cool to experience different places. Uh, experience just different different things altogether. I think it'd be really cool to be able to live while doing that at the same time as well. Because I just had like a bag full of clothes and a laptop in my backpack. That's that's mostly what I had. Um, so I think it would be a cool experience to have more than just a sack full of clothes. Like when I moved to, <laughs> when I moved, I think James, you may have even seen it. I just had a black trash bag with some clothes in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and you, were sleeping on, you slept on that air mattress yeah, in, the, in the top of Octopus for a while. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it should be a good experience though. Uh, you it should be make good. Your... We've, we've actually cut down. We don't have a whole lot more than what you just described though. Like we both have cut down our clothes a ton. Uh, we both have a laptop and a backpack and, that's about it. Like most of our cabinets are actually not going to be full in the RV when we start out, which we're pretty excited about. Yeah, that's a good feeling. I, sh- I should start. Jamie's not home right now. I could I could get up right now and start throwing things away, and she wouldn't notice <laughs> for a while. <laughs> she wouldn't notice right away. Yeah, yeah. We've been working on that for since we moved to Santa Cruz. So before that, we had a house um, in in Sonora, actually, and it was a three bedroom house, and it's amazing. Like we only had it for like two years but you get so much stuff so quickly to just fill up whatever space you're in. Mm-hmm. And so every time we've moved, we've gotten rid of boxes and boxes of stuff for the last five years now. And we're finally down to a point where all we're, we got a storage unit and it's a five by five and we're going to have a room left to spare. I think so. I'm pretty happy with that. I think there's an algae in there somewhere to software development. Yeah, when you were talking, you were talking earlier about uh, just just trying to use, just trying to have less less stuff to keep track of, less moving parts. That's that's how I feel about this. This is like the same thing for my life. I just I've got a computer that I really really like, and a phone that I really really like, and those do most of the things that I need to do in a in an average day, and then some clothes that are they're just fine. That's all you need. That's all you need. Feels good to cut back. Yeah. You know, uh, yesterday the power was out for most of the day. And uh, so, because of the wind, apparently. And so, Jamie and I, Jamie is like, I got homework. And I was like, I need to do some stuff. So, we drove to Starbucks. And guess how many people from the town we saw <laughs> in Starbucks? Most of them? Most of them, yeah. They all just like moved <laughs> with us and and uh, brought power strips to Starbucks and plugged everything in. Which I thought was hilarious. It was really funny. I'd never like recognized that many people in that place at once, and uh, <laughs> it was like a max exodus to Wi-Fi and uh, and uh, power. But that's funny. Uh, why? That's weird that nobody had power except the Starbucks. Did they have like a generator or something? It was, or in, they just got it was in different towns. So I mean, we all drove like a half an hour. I see. To, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like that's hilarious. Okay. I got to drive half an hour to to get to a Starbucks. Um, so yeah, there, yeah. I mean, most of us here are on well water too. So if the power's out, you can't use the water. The water doesn't work. So everyone was just like getting out of town to, to go to Wi-Fi really, because that's where they all went. They weren't going to like get food. They were going to the Wi-Fi. So that's all you need is a little bit of shelter and a, and a phone and Wi-Fi. Yep. 
I'm actually going to be ordering our internet shortly. Uh, and I'll have to say, talk about that on the show a little bit. I get, I guess once I get it, I don't want to name any names in case it's really bad, but I think it's going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> in case. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested in that too. Cause I've been wanting to build uh, a solar, a little solar panel that charges a battery that I can use for things like that. Cause literally everything in my house runs off electricity. So when the power is out, I can't use water. I can't use the stove. Um, obviously the heating doesn't work in the wintertime. That's not great. And it's been cold out. <laughs> so uh, I need to get something figured out in that department, whether it's some, a couple of batteries I can charge via solar panels. Um, there's actually in town here, there's actually two or three different solar arrays that I've seen outside like big ones. Uh, so there's people I could talk to and, um, uh, if Nabila, you hear this, I haven't gone yet, but there's a little, there's a little art gallery in town. And I noticed on the window, they hold, uh, like community discussions there. And, on on the sign, it said that they talk about um, sustainable living. And they talk about sustainable like agriculture, like small town agriculture. They talk about um, sustainable uh, energy, like renewable energy. They talk about all this stuff that I've been thinking about and interested in. And it's just right down the street. And they they routinely get together and talk about this stuff, and then uh, go out go on doing what they're doing. So I might have to check that out and report back. That's awesome. Yeah, man, I, I'm all, something about this year has just, has just made me feel like I, I have to do so much more in terms of like reusable energy and, and all that sort of thing. So solar, man, it's really the best. It's there. I, I just, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's free, it's free energy that doesn't hurt anything. It's amazing. I, I had never really seen like a big solar panel up close. I have, I have, you know, a couple, couple smallish ones, but we just, we put a 160 watt panel on the roof of the RV actually last weekend. And they're so cool. It's just, there's so little to them. It's just such a simple idea, but what it enables you to do is so profoundly awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I love, I just love that simplicity that enables such amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk a lot about that, uh, coming up as well. A lot about solar stuff. Cause I think it's really interesting. I think that I'm just really, I, I don't know, again, maybe it's because I turned 30 this year, but I'm really interested in stuff like that. Really interested in like making sure that I, I have something that's renewable and something that can sustain me if something happens where the power goes out or there's a giant snowstorm knocks. I mean, all it does, it takes is, is like the wind to blow here and the power goes out for hours. Um, so last year we had the power go out several times during the winter. Uh, and obviously in Vermont, that's not ideal. So I've been wanting to figure yeah, something Especially out. with electric heating, that's that's really rough. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty rough. I mean, the heat itself uh, is geothermal, but the thermostat's not going to run without electricity. So, oh, okay. Well, that's not so bad then. Yeah, you can, might be able to rig something up to get that working. Yeah, just don't tell the landlords. I won't tell them. Shh. Don't say it on a podcast. Certainly. Well, I mean, I have I've seen her once from a distance, and I've lived here like a year and a half. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, it's all stuff I would want to talk about. Really interested in researching, but. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's I haven't really done much else than that, like Elixir, uh, PUBG slash Destiny, and uh, think about solar panels <laughs> and go to jujitsu. That's about it. That's all I've been doing. Thinking about solar panels. Thinking about them, yeah. All right, are we good? Yeah. I think we're good. 